so much for tuning in to the EAE podcast, a production of the European Association for International Education. My name is Laura Rumbly. I'm the EAE's Director for Knowledge Development and Research, and you're listening to our 70th episode. The conversation you're about to hear was recorded in early August 2023, and what makes it very timely is that it focuses on AISA, the International Education Association of South Africa, just as AISA is celebrating its 25th anniversary. Indeed, its annual conference, running from August 22nd to August 25th, is focusing explicitly on the silver anniversary under the theme, Looking Back, Looking Forward. To help us understand more about AISA's history, current activities, and future directions, as well as the specific nature of internationalization in South African higher education, we're treated in this episode to the insight and expertise of Laverne Samuels. Laverne serves as director of the International Education and Partnerships Office of Durban University of Technology in Durban, South Africa. But importantly, he is the current president of AISA, a role he also held once in the past. So his knowledge of this key organization and the broader South African context is both deep and wide. Without further ado, thank you for turning into our conversation with Laverne Samuels on 25 years of internationalization in South Africa. Laverne Samuels, it's really an enormous pleasure for me to have this chance to speak with you. We know it is a very, very busy time in your life. We are about a week away, if I'm not mistaken, from AISA's 25th anniversary conference to take place in Durban, South Africa. And as you are thinking ahead to that very important moment in the life of your association, I wonder if you could share a bit with the EA community about AISA's core values and its direction of travel as an association now at 25 years of age. Yes. Well, I think um, AISA is very much based on values of fairness, mutuality, collegiality, professionalism, to name a few. Um, and it's been how AISA started. AISA started as a post-democracy organization in South Africa. South Africa came from a period of deep isolation before 1994, and with the advent of democracy, AISA was formed. And it's these democratic values that underpin AISA its mission and its vision and how it's evolved over time. So it's it's very much about uh, post-apartheid South Africa, social justice, and about redress. So this leads me into a question for you about the South African nature of internationalization in South Africa. So to kind of anchor this in a, a, a formal sense, since November 2020, if I'm not mistaken, South Africa has been operating under a national policy framework for internationalization of higher education. Great. So I was wondering if you might be able to outline some uniquely South African approaches to internationalization in higher education or notable priorities of the sector in your country today. Yes, I think for us, um, it's really about being more inclusive in international education. Uh, when we first started with internationalization and you know got back into the field, a lot of the focus was on academic mobility. It was about those few that could actually undertake uh, study visits, international conferences, students that would qualify for scholarships. And I think over time we realized that all our best efforts would never allow us to take that to scale and allow inclusion in uh, internationalization. So over time, we started engaging in aspects like internationalization of the curriculum, 
uh, internationalization at home, looking at the virtual space and looking at coil and coil-like activities. And this is very much where we are now. And our policy framework uh, captures this really well. I often give people these statistics, uh, you know, about Europe with the best funded mobility program in the world, the Erasmus program. Uh, it really has ever gone beyond 20% impact. And in the US, which has a strong, healthy economy, it ranges between seven and 9%. And those were in the pre-COVID years. In Africa, that participation in academic mobility is 1% and often well below 1%. So our commitment to inclusion is really to the other 99%. It's about drawing them in because graduates need the international dimension as part of their repertoire of skills, attitudes, and competencies. Um, and this is what AISA is all about, taking internationalization to everyone in the university context and leaving nobody behind. I realize it can be difficult to speak for an entire sector, you know, across a, a complex national landscape, uh, but I wonder if you might be able to speak a little bit to the priorities that South African institutions may have in terms of their outward engagement. So you've, you've mentioned some of the ways that institutions are trying to advance internationalization within their own institutional contexts. But um, how does that play out in terms of relations with other institutions around the world, other regions or other countries of, of particular interest? Yes, I think there's great diversity within the South African higher education landscape in how they partner. And I think in that diversity comes a richness. We do have some special partnerships. So, for example, our national policy framework speaks about a special relationship we have with Southern Africa and the Southern African development community, you know, Sub-Saharan Africa, the rest of Africa. BRICS, of course, is a group that we part of. But it doesn't mean that we don't engage with the global north that have been our traditional partners as well. So we, we engage fairly diversely. There are some countries that have an Africa focus and particularly a South African focus. So we have, for example, the South Africa Swedish University Forum, which is a special relationship between South Africa and Sweden. South Africa and the European Union also have a bilateral, and it's one that is serviced by both um, authorities where they meet. I think it's either every year or every second year to revisit this sort of engagement. So in terms of partnerships, I know many universities really focus on research partnerships, shaping a research agenda together, getting involved in publishing together, um, you know, dealing with the grand challenges with the SDGs together. And I think that is a very, very important part of the South African focus. But I think equally, it's about linking the local and the global. Um, nothing taught us uh, how inextricably linked the local and the global is more than the recent uh, pandemic that we lived through. And I think this is part of internationalization, not just bringing the global dimension home, but equally providing a platform for the local to be taken to the global stage and celebrating that uh, local dimension um, and its plurality and its richness as best we can. I think there's an enormous amount that we could unpack, you know, in that vein alone, to be sure. And so interesting to see how that will evolve now in the post-COVID or with COVID era that we're living in. 
you have touched already in your previous comments just now about the relationship between Africa and Europe or the, the European Commission in particular and partnership between Africa and European Commission we know is a key priority, whether in terms of economic development, sustainability objectives or other kinds of activities. I wonder if you could speak specifically to that point, sharing some of your perspectives on those shared interests between these two continents as well as the pinch points in the relationship and generally your view on the current dynamics in EU-Africa partnerships in higher education. Yes, I think there's a lot of effort that's gone on on both sides. It starts as a government-to-government -government interaction, but ultimately it's a people-to-people -people interaction that we're really concerned about. It's about how institutions, about how individual academics interact. And I think the efforts of both governments um, has actually paid off. There is a lot of listening that happens, and I think far more so now than before. So those bilateral me uh, meetings that take place actually is about a meeting of minds and a meeting of hearts, looking at the research agenda, which I think for many years has been dominated by the global north. It's very much about changing that dynamic, about becoming equal partners, driving mutuality together, but also finding solutions that work for all of us. You know, even something like decolonization of the curriculum, I often hear people talk about it in a very narrow context, but it isn't a narrow parochial project. It really is a global movement. If we are to address issues around decolonization, we have to take everyone on board, including the former colonies, because they need to also look at it. And it's 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 interesting that the Russell Group of Universities in the UK have a decolonization project, because even the colonies need to relook at it and come together to, to see how we can find lenses that appreciate our past together, but also shape our future together. And so the research agenda is important, but equally, I think we need to look at different forms of engagement and how we actually can drive community engagement, look at innovation together, look at issues like entrepreneurship and see how it can be mutually beneficial. And then of course, to look at teaching and learning um, in this post-COVID environment as we shape teaching and learning differently, as we look at more hybrid forms, as we grapple with things like artificial intelligence, how we can share and do things together. So those are areas I think of some very exciting promise and possibility. And it's really exciting to think about you know, what may lie ahead in any one of those areas. Um, I'd like to kind of flip the question a little bit to a, a bit of the the question of challenges, when you think of the state of international education, whether specifically in South Africa, regionally or more globally, as a field of practice or perhaps as a field of research or inquiry, I wonder what kinds of questions or concerns keep you up at night? You know, what, what, what worries you when you think about what we're doing or not doing to the fullest extent? Yes, I think uh, when I look at it, uh, uh, what worries me most is those that are fairly satisfied with the status quo, those that find it you know, acceptable that only a small percentage are impacted by internationalization or benefit from it, and that you know, the systemic and collective benefits uh, are not as important as the individual benefits. That worries me. Those that actually 
find that they want to go back to a pre-COVID space and not take on the learnings of the COVID era. And I, I think particularly those that do not want to embrace technology and the virtual space um, and see it as, a, a, you know, um, a, a less than ideal form of internationalization, whereas I see it as um, the type of internationalization that can actually allow all of us to be involved and actually bring us together in really profound ways. Um, I think also it worries me when the research agenda is dominated by a particular um, group, a particular country or particular university that actually don't see the need to engage uh, with mutuality in shaping an agenda, in shaping a partnership, in shaping a collaboration, um, and you know, would don't mind moving forward in in ways that are rather unilaterally beneficial. I think more and more coming together and finding ways that we can all benefit from is for me so vitally important uh, in taking internationalization forward. Um, and, you know, I, uh, I have to uh, perhaps mention the global dialogue that we held in 2014. I was the president of IESA then as well. And it was a privilege for me to welcome uh, presidents, executive directors and CEOs of organizations. And in many ways, we brought new voices to the table. And these new voices, I think, are vitally important. But 10 years later, we still have many voices that haven't been heard. And um, I think importantly is, you know, opening the door doesn't always mean you have a voice at the table. And we have to do a lot more of that. And I think those that are really satisfied with people and important voices not being at the table, that would worry me as well. So, you know, in my presidency of IESA, um, I'm proposing that IESA 10 years later hold a second global dialogue and, bringing, and bring the global dialogue back to Africa and for us to again come together in shaping internationalization, in bringing new voices to the table and finding ways that we can be innovative, inclusive and impactful with internationalization. And for me, it's it's very much about making a difference, shaping a new generation of leadership. That is so important. We have a dearth of leadership in the world and we're seeing it in ways that we've not seen it uh, before. I mean, you, you look at some of the major democracies and you see how they challenged in terms of leadership. You know, we assume that it's always smaller, uh, less established democracies that would struggle with leadership, but that's not the case any longer. And I think the role that we play in shaping this next, next generation of leadership is vitally important. So those that are, uh, I think, preoccupied with counting credits and looking at the technical aspects of internationalization, that is something that's worrying for me because ultimately internationalization is about a contribution to the broader human project. And that focus, I think we should never lose. Indeed, very daunting challenges on quite a number of fronts. But as you say, if we can keep in focus that bigger picture and that bigger purpose um, that we can serve, I think that, that gives energy you know, to move forward. 
I also like the um, the mention you make of looking backward to look forward, you know, reflecting yes. on efforts uh, undertaken even a decade ago and how they can be re-energized with new purpose today and tomorrow. And that puts me in mind, you know, of the final question I wanted to put to you as you reflect on AISA's 25 years of history and where it's headed as an association, as well as where South African higher education institutions are headed with their internationalization agendas and activities. Are there some lessons or good practices that you think can provide nice insights or examples for other countries or international education associations elsewhere? Yes, I think um, there are a few of them. And one of them are the communities of practice that we have. Um, we have a project that uh, we've been running now for two years, and that's a mentorship project where senior international offices at the different universities come together to actually provide a, a mentorship program for universities that might not be as well resourced, might need more capacity building, et cetera. So I think that's very important. But I think it's the sense of community that we have within AISA that has carried us through. A band of volunteers who come together uh, with a greater purpose than just what happens at their university, looking at the national picture, looking at the regional picture, and in fact, looking at the, the global picture, because a small organization like AISA hosting the first global dialogue, uh, you know, was not something that we took on because someone asked us to do it. We actually shaped it and conceptualized it off our own bat. We even resourced it on our own, and we thought this would be our contribution uh, to the global conversation. So I think it's that type of commitment within AISA that can be an example to other organizations, some young organizations that are still being shaped and less resourced. There's a lot you can do with very little. And I think that has been the story of AISA. From small beginnings, it has built into something that is fairly formidable. It's a respected organization across the world for the message it carries, for the values it carries, and for the impact uh, that it has had over the years. Indeed, you know, from uh, as a member of the wider community of international education profession professionals, the commitment that AISA has demonstrated has really been inspirational. And you mentioned this notion of community, and I'd just like to say from our community at the EAE to yours, we send you very warm greetings for this important milestone in the history of AISA. And thank you really for taking the time to share with us some of these insights and reflections on the work that you're doing on developments in South Africa that we can all learn from in so many different ways. It's been really great to speak with you. Thank you, thank you. It's been a pleasure to speak to you always wonderful working with the EARE and its members and particularly having this conversation with you and I look forward to our future engagement. Fantastic. Best of luck. Thank you. Take care. That was Laverne Samuels, President of the International Education Association of South Africa, AISA. We have links in our session notes for this episode to other resources connected to our conversation today in case you'd like to follow up and explore more. We'd like to remind our listeners that we're less than a month away from the 33rd annual EAE Conference and Exhibition. Regular registration closes on Friday, September 1st, so act now to avoid the late registration fee that applies after that. 
And as you consider your conference plans or actively prepare to attend, we invite you to check out the conference website to gain some great insights into how you can help us achieve some hashtag EAE green goals. These relate to our very serious and dynamic efforts to continue to make the conference as sustainable as possible. In other EAE news, the early bird deadline to register for our in-person academy course, How to Manage an International Office, is also fast approaching. Register by September 28th to receive a discount on your registration fee. To learn more, visit our website at www.eae.org. This episode is a wrap, but as of September, we're back to two podcast episodes per month, and we have a very exciting lineup for the series in the coming months. If you like what you're hearing, please like and share us on social media and across your networks. For now, all good wishes to you from the EAE.